morning, church. My name's Craig. I'm still the new guy. So super glad to be here today. Um, we are beginning a brand new series today, as you saw on the screen. It is simply titled this, How to Read Your Bible. Once again, that's such a simple series, you might be thinking. Man, that's so basic. Like, that's so simple. And, 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 and if that's what you're thinking, I'll just say this. Exactly. You got it right. You're picking up what we're putting down. It is so simple. It is so basic. But it is also so necessary. It is so necessary right now, we believe, more than ever. So if you're in Christ brand new, if you've been in Christ for decades, this is a series for you. Because frankly, the times are changing. These are dangerous waters we are in. And this series, we believe as a church, is just so very necessary for us. I want to give a quick illustration as we begin. And to do that, I want to take you back to Greece. Specifically, ancient Greece. Greece, if you know, still is, is dotted by many, many islands with many, many rocky shorelines, treacherous shoals for sailors. And many boats were lost in ancient times on these rocky shoals. And so what ended up happening was poets and storytellers started creating uh, mythologies around these rocks. And they started creating a little bit of monster-making activity happening. And many monsters were created in order to explain why have we lost so many ships? What's going on? And one of the monsters that I want to talk about, what, a, what an interesting way to start a sermon by talking about Greek monsters. But one of the monsters I want to talk about is the sirens. The sirens were like half bird, half women kind of creatures. And the sirens, if you don't know it, had beautiful voices. And their voices would call out. And what would happen is that the sailors and the captains, as they would navigate through these channels, and the sirens allegedly would call out, and, and so the story goes, and the, and, and the sailors would be so transfixed by this beautiful song that they would steer towards it, onto the rocks, to drown or be devoured by these creatures. Now, Greek stories also tell of two heroic captains, two amazing men who kept their crews safe through these treacherous channels and avoided the siren's call. The first was just a guy trying to get home to see his wife and his kid. His name was Odysseus. And what Odysseus had, his plan was this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lash myself to the center mast. And I'm going to tie myself there, and I'm going to get the crew to plug their ears with beeswax. So that when we go through, they're not going to turn to the left or the right. And that's what happens. They go through, and Odysseus is almost driven mad by the call of the sirens. He's crying, let me out, let me out, let me out. He wants to go to them. But the crew just plows straight ahead. He's lashed himself to the pole, and he thinks... He's safe. That's the first guy. But there was a second guy by the name of Jason. Jason had a completely different strategy. Uh, no beeswax, no ropes for him. He figures if the sirens are going to sing, go ahead and let them sing. Uh, but he's going to bring a better band. And so he gets this guy by the name of Orpheus, who's this genius musician, the best there is. Think Taylor Swift. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, and here's the thing. And while Jason and the boys hit the channel, Swifty kicks it into gear. And guess what happens? Nothing. The crew listens to the awesome music of Orpheus. And the sirens can't compare and they're drowned out. There were two ways to pass the sirens. One, 
Both would avoid destruction. Uh, One, tie yourself down, plug your ears, or listen to a better tune. Both kept you safe, but only one brought you delight. I think if you could think about it, that is a good way to think about how Christians approach culture today and the world around them. Tie myself to a pole, grin and bear it, plug my ears, or listen to a better tune. That's the point of this series, Bannockburn. We want you to dial up the radio of the word of God in your life. To listen to the truths of the word of God. Listen, these are dangerous times. These are dangerous times. Now, more than ever, in my entire life, I have never seen truth so hot, hard fought for. Uh, uh, this is truth, say family and friends. No, 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 that's not truth. This is truth, says the media. No, that's not truth. This is truth, says our leadership. No, that's not truth. This is truth, says social media. No, that's not truth. This is truth, say the educators. This is truth. This is truth. This is truth. There is a battle happening for truth right now around us, and many, many sides want to win. And as a result, two things are happening. One, we are being deluged. We are being drowned in truth claims. We are being drowned out by voices that want to have authority over us, over our families, over our lives. And this leaves us confused by what voice we should listen to at what time. But then, but then we're also being confronted with choices to make. We've got to follow a truth, so we filter them. And we filter them this way by seeing, okay, well, that seems best to me. That seems reasonable to me. That seems right to me. That seems like it'll get me what I want. And maybe it'll work for us, but maybe, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being led away to rocks, into a path that maybe actually isn't the best for it. It may seem like it will work, but when the trials come and when the hurt comes, because let's be honest, that's what's gonna test your truth more than anything else. When you're in pain and when you're in hurt, When those things come, are you going to find yourself still afloat? Or all that truth that you invested in, is that just going to sink like a cardboard boat? These are dangerous waters we are in, church. As a family, as a church, as a nation, as a people. But God has not left us defenseless. You have access to the truth. Your family has access to the truth. This church has access to the truth. This is the series we step into now. May God lead us. May God lead us into truth. And that seems like a great spot for me to stop and to ask the Lord to do just that. Would you pray with me, church? Father, we do pray right now that your leading and your grace and your power be filling this place and filling those who would watch online, Lord, that that we would become gripped by the truth, that we be not swayed to the left or to the right, but that, Lord, you would lead us. And so we pray to the God of all truth. We pray to the one who makes plain the complex. Lord, would you teach us? Would you be working in our hearts and convincing us again of the authority, the glory, the wonder, the power of the word of God? Would we be a people 
led by your truth? Would we be a church led by your truth? Would there be families in this place led by your truth? Would individual lives at the end of this series say, no, I am committing to the truths of God's word like never before? Oh, Lord, please move in all of our hearts, the preacher included, Lord, the preacher especially. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so listen, if you've got a Bible, and by the way, at the end of this series, you're going to really want your Bible. Okay, if you've got a Bible, uh, you want to turn to it or flip to it on your phone, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. And let me just say this, it will be really helpful for you to think about today's message as one quarter of a giant message. Uh, We're going to be preaching for the next four weeks on the Word of God and how to read the Word of God. And and, and over the course of the four weeks, today we're going to talk about the focus of the Word, next week about the authority of the Word of God, then the interpretation, how do I understand the Word of God, and then the power or the effects of the Word of God in my life. Those four sermons really put together make one big message, okay? So today's message is going to be a lot of moving around in God's word. We're going to look at four different passages. We're going to build a case for this. We're going to lay some groundwork today, build a foundation today, but we are also going to have fun today, okay? This is going to be fun. Are you ready for fun? Yeah, I love it. Let's do it. Okay, so how do we read our Bible? Let's talk today about the focus of the Word of God. And let me tell you this as we start. At the end of today's message, I'm going to open up the box, the gift that God's Word gives to us, and I'm going to show you what the focus of the Word of God is. I'm going to answer that question at the end of today's message, but I need to give you some truths that lead up to that before we can come to that spot at the end. So let me give you four specific facts that you can pocket about truths about God and how he speaks to us. Okay, four specific truths. The first one is found in Psalm 19. Again, in your Bible in front of you or on the screen behind you, here it is. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now keep your head still on the text or your eyes still on these words. And and just look quickly at the many words that are used to describe how God speaks or communicates. We see in verse 1, we see declare and proclaims. see in verse 2, speech. You see in verse 3, speech, and then words and voice. And then in verse 4, voice and words. The truth that we're getting from Psalm 19 is this. It's plain and simple, and this is the first fact I want to give you. It's this, that God has spoken, and he is speaking. God has spoken, and he is speaking, and he's doing so throughout his whole created order. Through the displays of his power and his glory that are on display at all times all around the earth. God is speaking. God has spoken. You think about the things that you visually see, like art, just for a second. Art has a way of being transcultural. It goes across all kinds of cultures, especially art that's visual or musical in nature. There's no words connected to it, but the visual or the music captures you. Uh, Think about this. Have you ever heard Beethoven's Symphony No. 9? That's dun-dun-dun-dun. Okay? You ever heard that one before? 
Or how about uh, this one? I think it's on the screen. We'll put up Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring. You ever seen that one before? Listen, you don't have to speak German like Beethoven or Dutch like Vermeer to know that those are pretty, pretty good pieces of art. You don't have to have the language. Now, did I lose you with Vermeer and Beethoven? Did you, did you make an assumption about Craig based on Vermeer and Beethoven? Okay, let me, let me fill in the picture for who I really am. Uh, this was Abraham and I last night. Uh, we went to Monster Jam. Okay. Uh, yeah, come on now. Listen, I don't, I don't speak car at all. I don't change my own oil. Uh, but I sat there and I was like, okay. Now that's crazy good. They come out roaring and your chest is thumping and whoa. I don't have to speak car to know that those things are good. Psalm 19 tells us that when God makes things, they speak universally through every tribe and tongue. It's the nature of who God is in ways that are not hidden from anyone. God is speaking. It's almost as if God has picked up created man and dropped him in the art gallery of all the things that God has made. The voice of God's creation has gone throughout the world. Listen to this, says God. Look at that, says God. Listen to this, says God. Look at that. Let me give you a few examples. I was looking them up. Have you ever seen an African baobab tree? Guaranteed I've pronounced that wrong. This gigantic tree in Africa. Look at this thing. It's also in Madagascar. It's so wide, they call it the tree of life in Africa. Uh, one of them has been hollowed out inside and 40, 40 people can stand inside shoulder to shoulder comfortably. 40 people can't fit in maybe your house. This tree is huge. How about a snowflake? You ever seen a snowflake under a micro? Have you ever seen a snowflake? First of all, Austin, Texas. But then second of all, have you ever seen one under a microscope? They're incredible, each one unique. You know how this goes. Or how about the platypus? I mean, come on. Now, I, I was raised in a different ecosystem. I'm coming out of Austin, Texas. A different e I'm walking around seeing things maybe with fresh eyes that some of you may not see. But I'm looking at things. I'm going, that's crazy. Look at that. That's incredible. That's amazing. I saw my first armadillo yesterday or the other day. <laughs> I looked at that little ugly thing. I was like, look at that crazy thing. Look at how creative God is. Walks around hairless, blind, got leprosy probably if you touch it. Incredible. You say to me, where did you see that? I say, on your lawn at night. But I didn't tell you. But I mean, come on, look around. God's incredible creation on display. His creation communicates something. It's a lot like when a child comes home to you with their artwork. And they show you their artwork and you hold it up and you say, wow. Do you know what this artwork tells me about you? It tells me that you're creative. It tells me that you like blues and swashes of red. It tells me that you like the sun in the corner. It tells me that you love drawing pictures of your family and pictures of swimming. This is incredible. This artwork tells me so much about you, the artist. So too it is with God. You know what God's creation tells us about him? Because God is communicating, because God has spoken. His creation tells us so much. It tells us that he's an absolute astonishing genius. 
the intricacies of all that he has done. He is limitless in his power. He is creative in ways that astound us. He is all-wise. He is all-knowing. He is absolutely incredible. For us to know that there was a creator, we only need to look around and see creation. We are standing, we are living in the art gallery of God's awesome created work. And so we listen to the song of his creation, the intricate, awesome creation that doesn't just happen. But there's a problem. Because mankind isn't hearing it. Flip with me over to Romans chapter 1. This is going to be our second passage. Again, we're moving around a little bit more this week. We'll settle in in the weeks ahead. But in Romans chapter 1, this is the Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament. And he tells us that something has actually gone wrong. With mankind standing in the art gallery of God's created order, something has happened because they can no longer hear the song of God's creation. They can't see his works even though his fingerprints are everywhere. It's as if someone has turned off the lights in the art gallery and they don't know it's there. Romans chapter 8 or chapter 1 verse 18, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. God has spoken. That's a fact. But this is the second fact I want to give you. It's this, that man is deaf. Man is listening to the sirens. And like the aim of the sirens, he's now found himself on the rocks under the judgment of God. God is talking, but man isn't listening. And it's not because he can't listen. Do you understand me? It's because he won't listen. It's not because he can't listen. It's because he won't listen. Because, we just read, because of sin, because of unrighteousness. Our unrighteousness We are suppressing the truth. Now zero in on that word suppress. Do you know what that word suppress means? It carries with it the idea of physically pulling back something. Don't go there. If you were thinking about it with your ears, you'd put your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 I don't want to hear. 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 We cover our ears. Man doesn't want to hear about God. Now, why do you think that is? Well, because, you know, maybe we don't want to know that there's a better artist than us. Or maybe because we don't want to know that God has created all of this. No, I don't think that's the reasons. I think the reason we don't want to listen is because sin doing this to us, to suppress the voice of God. We, if it actually were true that we would see him, if, if God really is glorious, if God really is powerful, then something in my life has to change. But I don't want to hear that. Something in my life and someone in my life has authority over me. But I don't want to hear that. And so when I'm asked the question, who made the trees? Who, who made the armadillos? Who made the snowflakes, Craig? I'll say, not God. 
Because if God, then I can't be in charge. Let's just, let's just say it was a, a, like, a, like a big, large bird one day. Let's say it was a jackal that made the world. Let's say it was some small demigod that made the world. Let's just say that it happened by chance. Let's just say it happened in a moment. Let's just say it doesn't matter anymore. That's the world, says Paul. Plugging their ears and closing their eyes. And this, by the way, is how we explain so many truths around us. So many truth claims. Because if you don't want God in your life, then you have to create a system and invent new truths. And the world around us is filled with truths away from God and his creation and how he's revealed himself to be. The world doesn't want to listen to God because if it did, it'd have to explain him. God has spoken, but man is deaf stuffing his own brand of beeswax in his ears. So what's God to do? Well, what would you do if you really wanted to be heard but people weren't listening to you? You'd keep trying, wouldn't you? God has spoken, but man is deaf. So this is the third thing I want to show you. God's going to make it clearer. God is going to speak directly. God's going to speak directly. Let me take you to another chapter 1 in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1 this time. Hebrews chapter 1, it's time for God to dial things up. God is not content with them living in the silence. And God is not content with not being heard because God has a message to give to his people. God has a message to share with creation and they're not listening. So God speaks directly. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, we'll go through 3 but Look at verse 1. It says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Listen, not only has God clearly communicated through his his created order, he has also put on display his power, his glory, his meticulous care, his astounding attention to even the smallest detail. But because of our suppressing the truth, God ratchets up and he speaks more clearly. The writer of Hebrews tells us the couple of ways this direct special communication happens. And one of them is through prophets. So God sends messengers now. Men to write down what he's saying. Send the note to them. Tell them what I'm like. Prophets who write down the words of God. How did that happen? Well, these guys aren't falling into trances. And God isn't just moving their arms That's not the story of how scripture came to be. These guys aren't aren't guys who dig in the ground in some forest and pull up something that was allegedly written by God. That's not how it happened. No, these received direct divine revelation from God. Whether it was Moses or Elijah on a mountaintop or Samuel, Isaiah, or Ezekiel through dreams or Job or Jonah through direct communication, God used many ways to get his words across And it wasn't just straight dictation to a guy wearing sheepskin in the desert. And that guy in the sheepskin was supposed to remember what God said. And he tried to remember it and he wrote it down. But he forgot things like when you forget, when you stand in the milk aisle and you try and remember, did she say 1% or 2%? I can't remember. That's not how God's word came about. God's word came about as it was carefully superintended. It was watched over by God himself. Paul, Peter describes this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll just pull it on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. 
it says this, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God. Watch this, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Question, who makes sure that the words are written properly? God does. Who made sure that the words that you have are God's words? God did. So God, who has spoken through his creation but was suppressed, ratchets up the conversation and sends messengers. Men who record his words, and they're carefully recorded through the help of the Holy Spirit. But you know how it goes. They still don't listen to him. So what do you do next? What do you do if you're God? The signs are everywhere. This is your world. You have marvelously and wonderfully created this world. Your presence is everywhere. But they don't want to see it. So you send messengers. And they don't want to listen to them. So what do you do? You've written a note. You've sent it with someone. They don't listen to you. What do you do? You do what God did. You come. Hebrews 1. Let's continue on. It says this long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now watch this verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God himself comes, the one who created the world and the one who sustains the world has now entered into the world. In other words, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And this is the fourth thing I want to share with you today. It's this, that God himself comes to speak. And now we can bring it into focus. Because the, we wanted to talk about what the focus of the Bible is today. So, so, so what do we need to do? We can all agree, can't we, that it's more important to know what someone is saying than that they're speaking? Did you talk to Kathy today? Yeah, I saw her lips move. Well, what did she say? And that's where we come to today. We've understood that God is speaking, Yes. And God has been persistent in his communication, absolutely. And God has been so persistent that he himself even came. So what is God saying? What is the focus of the Bible? Well now, because God himself has come, because Jesus has come, this is what makes the Bible so incredibly special, so wondrous, so precious, so powerful, because it records God's communication to us. It reveals to us what God himself wants us to know. This God who is relentless in persistence in communicating with you. The question is not if he has spoken, but what has he said. And church, what God is trying to get you to hear is something so life-changing, 
so powerful that if you receive it and you bring it into the center of your life, you will never be the same. You will have found the truth. You will have found a way to navigate through the difficult waters of this life. You will have found a way. You do not need to plug your ears. You can open them up and listen to the music that is so beautiful. You will have found a source of hope in the midst of trial. You will have found a peace that overflows. You will have found a joy that will never end and that no one can take away from you. You will have a meaning and a purpose in life that is far greater than anything anyone else can offer you. You will have discovered that you are precious and more valuable than anyone has ever called you to be. You will have a wealth that doesn't rise and fall with markets. You will have a life that truly leads beyond the grave. You will have a healing for all the hurts that have been done against you and for all the hurts that you've done to others. And you will have found a love deeper than anything you will ever have. You will have found the truth that has set you free because in God's word, you will have found Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, what is the main point of the Bible? What does every page lead up to? It tells us a story of a God who is so glorious, so powerful, beyond time, that this God who made the stars, who made the snowflakes, who made the world with its trees and its platypus, that this God right now is even holding the universe together. The atoms within you are being held together by this God. That this God, limitless in his power, this God loves you. You. That this God created you to have an abundant life in him. And that this God secured the possibility for this by your salvation through his death upon a cross, bearing the judgment and the wrath of God against sin. This is the focus of the Bible. This Jesus who perfectly communicates, listen, who perfectly communicates just how far God would go to love you. This Jesus, the Son of God, very God of very God, still ignored by so many, but to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Do you understand this as we begin this series, Bannockburn? That the Bible is a love letter. It is offering you a family. It is offering you the fullness of joy and the fullness of peace and eternal life in him. And that's how we begin. We bring it into focus. What is the Bible actually existing for? Why has God spoken so persistently? What does he need us to hear? It's this. But let me ask you as you begin. Over these next four weeks, right now, today. Is that how you view your Bible? Maybe somebody has told you that actually the Bible is like an instruction manual. Is someone telling you that that's what the Bible is? Just an instruction manual? Like you put together the weed whacker, you read it once, and now it's done? Just like do this, do this, do this. Is someone telling you that the Bible is just a rule book of things to do and not to do? Is someone telling you, is making the Bible so boring that that's what that is? Is someone telling you the Bible is just another book that just goes on your shelf? Or maybe someone's telling you that the Bible is something that you need to have in your house to just protect your house. You've got it like a talisman in your house. You don't open it, you don't read it, but there it is. 
Or maybe someone is telling you that the Bible is just a set of helpful quotes. And you're just going to read a couple books and get those quotes. Or maybe someone's telling you that the Bible is just a bunch of stories. Like the veggie tale stories that you grew out of. Or maybe someone's telling you that the Bible is just something that the pastor teaches from. Or maybe someone's telling you that the Bible is something that you can't ever understand. So why pick it up? And why read it? Listen, what we're learning here today is that that's anything what the Bible's about. The Bible is a glorious work written and given to us by a persistent, loving, endlessly communicating God who wants you to know who you really are and wants you to know who he really is. And he wants you to know what he has done for you and how much he loves you and wants you to be a part of his family and wants you to draw you into the bottomless fountain of his love for you. Bannockburn, we press into this series not to be better Christians doing better things. We press into this series to press into the heart of God to lean into his voice for our lives because we need it so much. These are dangerous times, but we thank God for his truth given to us. I want to close with a video, and I want to show you what happens when you view the Bible like this. What happens to a culture that views the Bible like this? Your response maybe could look something like this. Amen. 
Let me, let me pray, and maybe you're, you're with me on this. Father, we pray, Lord, for this uh, community, for this church, for these families, for this collection of individuals. Uh, first, Lord, forgive us, please. Forgive us for holding on to your word, to your precious gift of life to us that communicates who you are, communicates how much you love us. Forgive us, God, myself included, for... For its neglect in our lives. For the ways that we have not held fast to it. For the ways that we've been shaken, maybe overly shaken by the world around us. For the ways that we've been shaken by life and lost sight of you and all the while your word speaks out to us. This is the way of life. This is a light unto your path. Herein lies truth. Lord, forgive us. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us from our sins. We have not listened to your voice as we should. But God, we pray, please, that you would begin to work, maybe even today in our lives, maybe even through this series, transforming this church making us more and more in love with your word. It's one of these things you can't overdo in life, Lord. We can't overdo listening to you. So Lord, help us to listen. Lord, I pray that we would be a people, a people that don't just have a Bible, but a people that are all about our Bibles. Transform us, Lord. We ask for your grace, your mercy, your spirit to be moving in our lives. Make us people of the book, God. Lead us to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we respond, church, why don't you stand? We'll sing this together.